Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm excited about what I think may be the next big thing in anti-inflammatory supplements, a brand new all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health Liquid Extract from Future Farm Botanicals. Black for Health combines four plant-based foods, black garlic, black radish root, black cumin seed, and black peppercorn containing high levels of body-ready healing botanicals. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight management, circulation, and immunity. It's a tasty supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. For more information or to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuture. Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to Layla Ways In, here on Intelligent Medicine. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for downloading these podcasts. I enjoy your questions. I'm going to go over a few of them today. You can email me your questions or topics of interest to radioprogram at AOL.com. That's radioprogram at AOL.com. So if you'd like to make an appointment, we are open. We've been open since July. You can see me in person. If you're not in the New York or tri-state area, we could have a phone consult. We could have a Zoom consult. Call the office and speak to Liz. That number is 212-779-1744. Again, 212-779-1744. So here we go. I've got a question. I've got an email <clears throat> from Jean. Jean's been listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast for a long time. She writes, hi, Layla, I love hearing from you, a dietitian, twice a week on the Q&A and then on your solo podcast. Thanks so much for listening, Jean. My question is, I know aspirin originally came from a willow or similar plant. Do any vegetables or fruits also contain aspirin or similar compounds? If so, how much would we need to eat to get a similar, a similar benefit? as aspirin? This is a great question. Um, aspirin is salicylic acid. Now, here's what, here's, uh, here's the thing about aspirin. Willow species and aspirin, they each have a different mechanism of action. Many believe that willow is the natural source of aspirin. It's not. It's not. However, willow species contain only a low quantity of the prodrug salicin, which is metabolized during absorption into various salicylate derivatives. And now what aspirin actually is is salicylic acid. It's a salicylate. If calculated as salicylic acid, the daily salicin dose is insufficient to, pro to produce analgesia, to, to produce pain relieving, right? Salicylic acid concentrations 
following an analgesic dose of aspirin are an order of magnitude higher. Flavonoids and polyphenols contribute to the potent willow bark analgesic and anti-inflammatory effect. Key words here, Gene, flavonoids and polyphenols contribute to its anti-inflammatory effect. And get this, the multi-component active principle of willow bark provides a broader mechanism of action than aspirin and is devoid of serious adverse effects. In contrast to synthetic aspirin, willow bark does not damage the gastrointestinal mucosa. Now, you know, if you take a daily aspirin and your doctor told you to take it at night, no, you want to take it after a meal. Take it after dinner. Your stomach must not be empty when you take aspirin. Oh, but Layla, Layla, wait, my, my aspirin is enterocoded. It doesn't matter. But wait, I'm, I'm taking a baby aspirin. No, it doesn't matter. Long-term use of daily aspirin for like prevention of cardiovascular disease, all of that thing. If you take it long-term on an empty stomach, you will get an ulcer. And it's not necessarily your, your stomach. It could be anywhere in the GI tract, including your rectum. I know a case, a relative of mine, this was, oh, 20 years ago, long-term aspirin taker. He bled out from his rectum. He died. They were not able to stop the bleeding. Imagine that. He took the aspirin on an empty stomach for years. Wow. Okay. So you want to be careful with aspirin. may also cause tinnitus. Ringing of the ears. Some call it tinnitus. I call it tinnitus, but tinnitus, tomato, tomato, you know. Okay. So an extract dose with 240 milligrams salicin, we're back to willow, had no major impact on blood clotting. In patients with known aspirin allergy, willow bark should not be taken. It's absolutely contraindicated. So the key things here about aspirin and its anti-inflammatory effect, as well as willow, is the flavonoids and polyphenols. So what fruits and vegetables contain similar compounds? So many of them do. So many of them have beneficial flavanols, polyphenols, and if you eat about 10 cherries a day this summer, not all the sweet ones, do the red ones, not just the dark ones, not just the dark sweet, but the lighter tart red. That has almost the same impact, not an analgesic effect. It's not going to pain relieve, but it can have anti-inflammatory effects, which is beneficial. What you want to do, all of your vegetables, your fruits contain some amount of flavonoids and polyphenols. So take them. Antioxidant vitamins, all of which are contained in your, in your produce, your vegetables, and your fruit. Eat berries. Eat all the different berries, the blackberries, blueberries, raspberries. You want colors. That's where these flavanols, flavonoids, and polyphenols are. You want to get minimum five colors of produce a day into your diet. This is easily achieved with a nice salad with many different vegetables and colors in it. Your dark green leafies, your carrots, maybe a, a, a green or orange pepper, right? Your red radishes 
or red pepper, tomato, cucumber, uh, your chopped onions, maybe a red onion, a purple onion, and, and following up with some fruit for a dessert. Fruit is the new dessert, everybody. The way to eat fruit is as a dessert. So the variety of colors in your fruit, <clears throat> enjoy them all. That's how you're, this is an anti-inflammatory diet. Also, if you're wanting to reduce inflammation, certainly you have to remove inflammatory foods from the diet. Here are some big ones. Vegetable oils. Yes, you heard me right. Oh, but Layla, American Heart says vegetable oils are good for us. No, too bad. It's not so. And, you know, <clears throat> the big food industry and American Heart, they're probably in it together. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, I, no, I don't really follow that much American Heart's recommendations. They do get some things right. They absolutely do. But the fact that they're still touting pro-inflammatory vegetable oils, really, I just throw my hands up in the air. I scratch my head. I roll my eyeballs. That's where I am with that. These pro-inflammatory vegetable oils are the grain and seed oils like soybean oil, canola oil, uh, uh, rapeseed oil, cottonseed oil. Did I say corn oil already? Grapeseed oil. But, but grapeseed oil, we like to cook with it. High smoke point, high, you know, grapeseed oils are very high in, in pro-inflammatory omega-6. That's what you want to avoid. And if you're eating the grains and, and some of the legumes that these come from, you're still getting these pro-inflammatory omega-6. The anti-inflammatory omega-6, they are evening primrose oil and borage oil. These are the anti-inflammatory omega-6, and they produce um, anti-inflammatory cytokines or prostaglandins, anti-inflammatory prostaglandins instead of inflammatory prostaglandins. The inflammatory prostaglandins are responsible for pain, right? So that's what we're talking about. Gene, yeah, that's anti-inflammatory diet. Stay away from artificial sugars, sugar substitutes, <coughs> Staying away from sugar in and of itself is a good idea. You could take some fructose from the fresh or frozen fruit you eat. The juice, not so much. It's too much fructose. It'll impact the liver. Speaking of liver, Jean has another question. She says, on another note, here's a topic suggestion for you. Could you discuss all the fat-soluble vitamins? I've read about vitamin D and A and how A can especially can become toxic. But what about vitamin K and any other fat-soluble vitamins? How toxic are they? This is a great question, Jean. So with regard to the fat-soluble vitamins, it's true. If you overdo vitamin D, that's why we always want to test your blood levels of vitamin D before we dose you. I'm not starting everybody with a dose of 5,000 IU of vitamin D a day unless I know that their levels are well under 40 or 30. If they're at or about 40, maybe 2,000, 3,000 a day. But if we were going into winter, which we are not now, we're going into spring. If we were going into winter, the dose might be higher. Recommended dose may be higher because you won't be getting any sunlight at all, right? Outdoors far less as well. 
So vitamin D, we don't want your blood levels going over 100. Where do we want to see blood levels of vitamin D? What is optimal? Definitely above 40, because anything under 40 we call insufficiency or even deficiency. Many call under 30 deficient and under 40 insufficient. We like to see vitamin D levels anywhere between like 55 and 85. And if you are, if you are a person who has cancer or is undergoing cancer treatment, we want to definitely see the upper range of those, not just 55, but closer to the 80s. We don't want it over 100 because too much. If you start going over 100, 110, 120, this may adversely impact your kidneys, your liver. So in vitamin A, there is a such thing as taking too much. And I noticed some multivitamin formulas contain too much vitamin A. Another source of too much vitamin A is cod liver oil. Please be careful. <clears throat> Back in my grandmother's day, cod liver oil didn't have that much vitamin A. But these days, over the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years, the vitamin A in cod liver oil appears to be too much. You want to be careful. You want to check and make sure it's not too much. How much is too much? You don't want more than four or 5,000 IU a day. Sometimes that's too much on a daily basis. Maybe closer to 15, 1,800. But taking vitamin A, like people are taking, uh, for example, we have a wonderful supplement <clears throat> called Virusid, which has a good amount of vitamin A in it. Do we want you taking Virusid every day all winter long? No. You take Virusid when you feel like you're coming down with something, a cold, a flu, COVID, anything like that. Start taking Virusid. Take it for the next two, maybe three weeks. And then you stop. You stop because that vitamin A, these fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K, I'm going to get to E and K in a moment. These are fat-soluble, meaning they're stored in the body. And when they're stored in the body, they can accumulate and become toxic. It's kind of the same way with iron. You don't want to be a postmenopausal woman or a man taking a supplement with iron unless your blood levels are shown to be low in iron or ferritin, which is a storage form of iron. So we have to be careful with D. We have to be careful with A. Now let's talk about vitamin K. Vitamin K, K1, K2, very, very important for bone health, for cardiovascular health, all of that. Now, in looking at the Office of Dietary Supplements at the Institutes of National of the of the National Institutes of Health, what are the health risks of excessive vitamin K? The Food and Nutrition Board did not establish upper limits for vitamin K because of its low potential for toxicity. And in its report, the Food and Nutrition Board stated that, quote, no adverse effects associated with vitamin K consumption from food or supplements have been reported in humans or animals, end quote. Now, having said that, do I want you taking 1,000 micrograms, which would mean one milligram of vitamin K every day? No. 
The recommended dose is 90 micrograms twice a day, maybe 180 micrograms twice a day. So you're getting more like 350, 360. We're waiting for further research to clarify if that dose even needs to be higher, especially in the, in the setting of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, severe osteoporosis, how much vitamin K is necessary. But I know we float between the dose of 180 micrograms a day to 360 micrograms a day, generally. Now, there are interactions with medications for vitamin K. First of all, you're not going to OD on vitamin K eating food. Your K1 is coming from your, your green leafy vegetables primarily. Your K2 is coming from fermented things like cheese, natto, natto, which is a fermented soybean, natto, cheese, and you're getting vitamin K also for meat. So hello, having a steak and salad, maybe some spinach with it or something. You're getting a nice amount of vitamin K. And getting an additional 180 to 360 in a supplement is appropriate with a good, well-balanced diet like that, where you're getting other vitamin K. It is also a matrix. You want to be careful with vitamin K and anticoagulants like Coumadin. Coumadin known as warfarin, right? You have to be careful with that. There are certain antibiotics. Antibiotics can destroy vitamin K producing bacteria in the gut, potentially decreasing vitamin K status. And this effect might be more pronounced with cephalosporin antibiotics like cefabid, because these antibiotics might also inhibit the action of vitamin K in the body. Vitamin K supplements are usually not needed, they say here, uh, remember this is National Institutes of Health, unless antibiotic use is prolonged, like beyond several weeks, and accompanied by poor vitamin K intake. So, uh, you want a healthful diet with that. And now, let's talk about vitamin E. Vitamin E, and they talk specifically here about D-alpha-tocopherol, and that's only one of the many tocopherols of vitamin E. There's not just alpha, there's delta, there's gamma. You want the mix, because if we only take D-alpha-tocopherol, the alpha-tocopherol, it can actually deplete the other tocopherols and thereby become dangerous. That's why many vitamin E studies against prevention of cancer or, or any likelihood of cancer, they used the wrong vitamin E. They used purely D-alpha-tocopherol. Now, why didn't the scientists know that that used alone may be dangerous? You know, I, I question that. So I question a lot of those studies about vitamin E and, uh, and cancer. So research has not found any adverse effects from consuming vitamin E in food. However, high doses of alpha-tocopherol supplements can cause hemorrhage and interrupt blood coagulation in animals. And in vitro data suggests that high doses inhibit platelet aggregation. Two clinical trials have found an increased risk of hemorrhagic stroke in participants taking alpha-tocopherol. Now, this is National Institutes of Health Office of Dietary Supplements. 
They're only quoting these alpha tocopherol like this is the only vitamin E that exists in the universe, which is unfortunate. You always want to take a vitamin E that has mixed tocopherols. I've seen doses 200, 400, even 800 IU of mixed tocopherol vitamin E to be just fine. Now, if you're already on a blood thinning medication or something, we, we need to check. We need to see. Do you bruise e easily? Are you on aspirin therapy? Well, we need to check and we need to see. Right? So that's what we're talking about. These are all the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, E, and K. And vitamin A, including all the carotenoids and things like that found in your produce. Yes, these are sources of beta-carotene. But also note that when you're making that beautiful salad of all the five colors I was talking to you about, don't use a no-calorie or no-fat dressing. You need to eat fat in order to absorb the fat-soluble vitamins. When you take your vitamin D supplement, you want to take it with a fat-containing meal. An omelet if you're having breakfast, you know, your, your chicken, your grilled chicken over greens at lunch, your steak and salad at dinner, or your broccoli with your lamb rack, you know, or, or your pork loin and other vegetables that you're having and stuff like that. These all contain natural, good, healthy fats. And of course, I'm talking about organic, grass-fed, natural, pasture-raised, all of that kind of thing, right? That's what we're talking about. You need to be eating fat to absorb fat-soluble vitamins. If you're not eating any fat at all, if you're still a fat-phobic person, you're not absorbing your fat-soluble vitamins, not even the ones you take in supplement form. Believe me. So, this is it from uh, from uh, this question from Jean. Jean, thank you very much. Uh, for everybody else with any questions, topics of interest, radio program at AOL.com. That's radio program at AOL.com. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Ways In here on Intelligent Medicine. There's never been a more important time to ensure your immune system is operating at its peak. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman with a new natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals created exclusively to help promote a better immune response. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea. Future Farm's elderberry with zinc and echinacea is the first to combine these three powerful ingredients together. Elderberry is packed with antioxidants, vitamins, and may boost your immune system. Echinacea has been shown to activate chemicals in the body that decrease inflammation, and zinc activates T lymphocytes. Low zinc has been associated with increased susceptibility. For more information and order, call 888-841-7216. That's 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Elderberry with zinc and echinacea is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. This is Layla Mutin, R.D., I see patients regularly, along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.